Hey there, Trials of Frank Carson listeners. If you're looking for the latest podcast to obsess over, I'm here to tell you about the newest podcast from Focus Features and LA Times Studios brand team, Convicted Across Borders. Funded by Focus Features in support of the film Stillwater, Convicted Across Borders will do a deep dive into five individual cases from the 3,000 Americans who are imprisoned abroad every year. Most of those travelers experience little more than an inconvenience, a fun anecdote to tell their friends when they get back home. But for others, that adventure abroad becomes a nightmare of epic proportion. Hosted by famed lawyer and best-selling author, Marsha Clark, you'll hear straight from the mouths of the men and women who lived through these trials. Through these stories, we'll explore how seemingly benign actions can lead to incarceration in foreign lands, how to navigate different legal systems when you don't even speak the language, and who one turns to when the closest help is thousands of miles away. Like Jason Porcal, a man convicted, with no evidence against him and no prior criminal history, of international drug trafficking, money laundering, and organized crime in Nicaragua. Take a listen. So what I had done differently, not get arrested, <laughs> kidnapped by the police and thrown in a Nicaraguan dungeon, I would say. <laughs> I would, I would uh, recommend avoiding that experience if at all possible. This is Convicted Across Borders, a podcast co-produced by Focus Features and LA Times Studios brand team and funded by Focus Features in support of the film Stillwater. I'm your host, Marsha Clark. I've spent decades as a prosecutor and a defense attorney in the United States, but each year, more than 3,000 Americans are imprisoned outside the United States. Many are wrongfully convicted, and many are told they will never return home. Imagine what you would do in that horrific situation. Who could you count on to come to your rescue? In this five-part series, we're hearing real-life, first-hand accounts of American citizens whose international journeys turned into epic nightmares. For Jason Perkal, Nicaragua had become his dream home away from home. After spending the past eight years in the country, He'd become a successful real estate agent, and he met and married the love of his life and welcomed their first child, a son. Then, in 2010, without any signs or warnings, everything changed. Jason was arrested by Nicaraguan authorities and charged with international money laundering and drug trafficking. Jason had no criminal history. There was no evidence against him, no connections to his co-defendants, in fact, they all told the judge they'd never seen Jason in their life. But that didn't matter. In August 2011, Jason was convicted and sentenced to 22 years in prison. This is Jason's story. My name is Jason Perkel. I am 44 years old, and I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, and currently living in the Seattle area. I would describe myself as someone who is adventurous, that's really dedicated to family and really community-oriented. I have two younger sisters, Janice and Jamie, so we were always known as the three J's growing up. We're all two years apart, and we were always very close. We did everything together and just had a really close relationship growing up. 
And so it wasn't any surprise to me that my champion throughout this ordeal was Janice. I'm Janice Perakel. I'm 40-something years old. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I'm Jason Perakel's younger sister. I'm actually the middle, and my younger sister, Jamie, is the baby of the family. Jason was definitely our leader. Jamie and I were always following in his heels. We grew up in kind of a a tight, close-knit community, and it was very safe, so we would go, you know, roam around the neighborhood and go to neighbors' houses and friends' houses and parks and everything together, and it was very much three of you take care of each other, watch out for each other. That was how we grew up. So all three of us always kind of assumed that we would go explore the world. That was just how we were raised was the world is a place to be explored, go explore it. The way that I always describe Jason is that he has an adventurous spirit. He always thought There's more to do out there, and I'm going to go do it. Jason's adventurous spirit is what led him to become a Peace Corps volunteer. After graduating with degrees in economics and zoology from the University of Washington, Jason wanted to go to vet school, but needing additional experience, joined the animal husbandry program of the Peace Corps. In 2002, they sent me to Nicaragua underneath the umbrella of sustainable agriculture, And I just fell in love with the country. It's tropical paradise, really laid-back lifestyle, and the people are very humble. I never felt like I was in any danger. I used to backpack all over the country with just me and my dog. When Jason moved to Nicaragua, he was very much in love with the country. That didn't shock me. That was sort of what he was looking for as far as a community-based place where he could feel a part of something. After his Peace Corps service ended, Jason went back to Seattle long enough to save some money to buy a truck so he could drive himself back to Nicaragua. He began working in the real estate industry to put himself through vet school. He also fell in love with more than the community and laid-back lifestyle. I met my wife, Scarlett, in Managua. Uh, She was working at a Toyota dealership in the parts department and going to school at night for industrial engineering and then modeling part-time on the side. I walked into the Toyota dealership. I needed some parts for my my Toyota uh, 4Runner and um, walked up to the counter. There's 30 guys and this beautiful woman there. So I, of course, went up to the woman and eventually got her cell phone number when I came and picked up the parts and then invited her to the first date and the rest is history. After six months of dating, Jason and Scarlett were married in 2006. The following year, they would welcome their first son, Jabu. By 2010, in addition to real estate, Jason began partnering with large landholders to develop properties in a more sustainable way, implementing green alternative energy solutions with a community focus. So I had great relationships, really felt like I was embedded in the community. My wife was Nicaraguan. Our firstborn son, Jabu, was born there, and I really thought I was part of the community. And then, on November 11, 2010... Jason's entire world was turned upside down. There were no warning signs of what would happen next for Jason and his family. Nothing to prepare Jason for the nightmare that was about to invade his life in paradise that he had worked so hard to build. I was sitting in my beachfront office 
I just sent the secretary to the bank to make a withdrawal. So I was alone in the office, and it was about four o'clock or so in the afternoon. And all of a sudden, 10 to 15 guys in full black Kevlar, assault rifles, masks, came storming in the office. I thought I was being robbed until a guy who was in plain clothes walked in, and he had a badge hanging around his neck, and he asked for me by name. Jason was then instructed to sit down as he was held at gunpoint for hours. No warrant, no questions, no answers. They would not tell me why they were there. They wouldn't let me call my attorneys or my family or the embassy. They just held me there at gunpoint. They were searching the office. They confiscated computers and files and stuff like that, but they wouldn't tell me why they were taking anything. And they confiscated my vehicle, my truck as well. And after probably about five or six hours, they eventually put me in handcuffs and put me in the back of a pickup truck and then took me off to the local jail. At no point during all of this was Jason able to contact his family about what was happening. Little did he know, they were finding out for themselves. My mom had been in Nicaragua visiting Jason, and she had been at his house when the police went to his office to arrest him. And at the same time, the police showed up to the house and held my mom and Jason's three-year-old son at gunpoint for six hours and wouldn't tell them what was going on. And when that was over, my mom called me and said, the police have taken your brother and they won't tell us where he is. I remember the sound of concern and worry in her voice, but, you know, she wasn't screaming and crying or, and carrying on or anything like that. And in my mind, I remember thinking, this is no big deal. It's just a mistake. I'll have a conversation with the prosecutor. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about it, Mom. I remember thinking, like, this is just a big misunderstanding. Jason was taken to the San Juan del Sur jail where he was detained for hours, still with no explanation as to why. Then, in the middle of the night, Jason was pulled out of the jail and thrown into a small van. There was a bunch of other guys in there, and the police were screaming and yelling at everybody, really violent and aggressive, and they did this parade out of town with the van that we were in and police cars in front and back with lights going. Somehow, throughout all of this, Jason maintained composure and, like his sister Janice, kept telling himself this was a mistake and that it would all be sorted out. I figured it was just a case of mistaken identity, that they had the wrong person. You know, we had relationships all throughout the government, in the local government, all the way up, and so I had no idea what they were doing. They pulled over multiple times during that time. They were shouting and yelling. I couldn't understand exactly what they were saying. I caught a phrase of scorpions of society, like they were insulting us. And every time I looked up to, to try to read lips and understand what they were saying, they would yell to put your heads back down. And several times, like, I got hit in the back of the head with the butt of a gun. I got poked in the back with a sharp object. The other guys, I could hear them whispering that, you know, they're going to shoot us in the field. After nearly two hours of this terrifying ordeal, the van finally stopped at its destination, Rivas Jail, 
where Jason would spend the next several nights. And then the same thing over again in the middle of the night. They took us, me and a bunch of other people, all the way up to El Chapote in Managua, which is the underground torture facility used by the police. And so when the guys again started getting nervous and whispering, we're going to El Chapote, you know, I started getting nervous again too. Like, it was just so surreal. And then we got there and they process each one of us individually. They take me down underneath the ground and they strip me naked and put me in a cell and there's trash and frogs and insects moving around on the floor and garbage and piss and shit. They just push me in there. They shut the door and there's no light. There's one brick open above the door that filters a little bit of light in. And then there's a hole in the ceiling that's maybe two feet by two feet, but it's got a grate over the top of it and then zinc over the top of that. So it allows air to go in and out, but it's dark still. You can hear the prisoners next door, and then in the middle of the night, you could hear girls screaming that there's a snake in their cell, and there's people being tortured down the hall. You could hear people screaming and yelling as later I heard that they hooked people up to batteries and they beat people. So I sat there for, I don't know, three days or so, just waiting to figure out what's happening. During this time, Jason's mother returned to the U.S., and his sisters, Janice and Jamie, both flew to Nicaragua. The entire time, I remember talking to Jamie and planning out, oh, yeah, we'll just go find the prosecutor. We'll sit down. We'll have a grown-up conversation about this. Bring Jason home. Everything will be fine. And we got there and very quickly realized that everything was not going to be fine. We spent the first week just traveling around the country, going from prison to prison to try and find him. The prisons were moving him from place to place to try to hide him from his attorneys and from his family. And then one day we're sitting at his house with his wife and his son, and the phone rings, and it's Jason. Jason used an underground cell phone to contact his wife and tell them where he was being held. But it would be days before Jason was finally put in front of a judge, and for the first time, he would hear the charges against him. They put me in front of a judge, and there was a bunch of other people there as well. And that's when I finally heard the charges against me. The charges that they said in front of the judge were international drug trafficking, but there was not one gram of drugs in the case, in the entire case. And then they said international money laundering, and all of our funds came through bank wire transfers, and we had accountants that kept the books and everything for us in Nicaragua. So. That didn't make any sense, and then they said organized crime, and with 10 people that I've never met before. The other individuals that Jason had been grouped with, he would later come to find out, were politically involved, and Jason had now become a political prisoner. The other people in my case were political candidates against the Sandinistas, and like a mayoral candidate in the town that we were living in. How I got grouped in with these other guys, I have no idea. We weren't politically involved. So I became a political prisoner, even though I wasn't involved in politics. And with limited resources, we had to take a different strategy of trying to secure my freedom. And so we never found out the actual reason why I was put in this situation. Jason was right that he was the wrong guy. But that didn't matter now. After finally hearing the charges that he was being falsely accused of, his cruel new reality began to sink in. Jason was transported from the El Chipote torture facility to La Modelo, the maximum security prison in Nicaragua. That would become Jason's home for the next 22 months. 
And that's just one of the cases waiting to be heard. You can listen to the first two episodes of Convicted Across Borders right now by searching Convicted Across Borders on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.